eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of the flagship. Episode nine. And what did we tell you? I mean, Taylor Estes, managing editor of Horns 24-7. Joining me, we said that by this time, well, when we signed off from episode eight of the flagship podcast, we said we'd have massive change uh, by the time we got ready to do episode nine. And here we are, Taylor. I know. It's uh, been a a whirlwind these last 24 hours. We're recording Monday night here, so... Or just um, just hit the 24-hour mark of when all hell broke loose, <laughs> for lack of a better expression. But I mean, that's pretty much what what happened, you know, Chip. I mean, I got I'm we you reported on um, early early Sunday morning. Technically, you sent me the story at midnight. I didn't post it until Sunday morning, so I was a little concerned about putting up a story about possible both coordinator changes up at midnight with nobody else monitoring a message board because that can get ugly pretty quick. So I scheduled it for 6 a.m. to run. But, you know, when we heard that, I think we, you know, we realized, okay, so uh, Tom Herman has has been given the green light to make changes to his coordinators if he sees fit. We had the thought that Beck would probably be in that mix, but Orlando was kind of the one that, you know, when that came out first, I was a little surprised that that was the first one to come. And, you know, I don't know about you, but my first thought was Tom's not going to blame this all on the defense, right? You know, it's like, this is, is this going to be the defensive overhaul or is he going to look at his own side of the ball? And then, you know, as, as news trickled out after Orlando's um, dismissal, you know, then some of the offensive coaches got it too. So, it, it's been crazy, you know? I mean, there's no doubt about it. And Tom, kind of, in my opinion, put himself on the clock a little bit because, listen, we all know once you start firing coordinators, there's only so many places you can point before your every finger is pointing back at you. And Tom not just fired one coordinator, he's replacing both. And if this doesn't work out, then we may have, be having this time next year a different conversation. It's not going to be about assistant coaches. It may be about the head man here. Right. No, no question about it. And um, it, when Tom Herman makes a decision like this, you're right. The, 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 the clock goes down considerably. And I, I know Tom Herman is aware of those percentages. I think that's why he was reluctant to 
let go of Tim Beck after year one when he realized that me, Tom Herman, I'm going to have to call the plays and try to get this offense going, which he did in year two. Uh, And he had the benefit of not having a bunch of film out there. So he was sort of this this new, fresh uh, voice in the Texas offense, taking defenses a little bit by surprise. As more film became available, the it got a little bit more difficult. And when you had an offseason to study his tendencies, it was clear that um, that year three was, was going to be, or year two of the Herman um, sort of by committee offensive coordination was going to be more difficult because defenses had an offseason to to study Herman's tendencies and and sure enough as the season wore on it it got more difficult for that offense to make adjustments nothing seemed seamless there was player confidence loss i think there was coach there was Herman pressing pressing down on his assistants uh kind of like a jockey going to the whip and trying to just hit the horse a lot more to make him go faster, which doesn't really work with human beings. And, and then there were, there were disconnects with position coaches and, and look, it, it was a mess. And Tom Herman has admitted that now with his decisions to let go both coordinators. Uh, Drew Maringer is gone uh, inside receivers coach, Corby Meekins has been is going to be reassigned off of the 10 member on-field coaching staff into an administrative position and I don't think that we're done with the changes but you got to have some assistance coach the team through the bowl game and and be out on the road recruiting signing day is December 18th how quickly does Tom Herman want to get his new coordinators in place. And I, and we were the first ones to report that Graham Harrell was likely to emerge uh, as the leading candidate. And I think he is uh, at this point. And, and I like that potential hire. I think Graham Harrell um, is sort of Lincoln Riley light and he showed he can handle it by going into USC this year and really was kind of the shining star uh, for an offense that was going through three different quarterbacks. I mean, JT Daniels goes down in the opener. Uh, they go to Keaton Slovis, the freshman. Then he gets hurt early in the Utah game. In comes junior Matt Fink. And Fink helps lead USC to Utah's only loss. Utah still in the mix for the college football playoff. So a great win with Graham Harrell at the controls. So I think Harrell is, is red hot and uh, Texas is probably going to have to pay him a lot of money to come here uh, and guarantee him some years, which I look, I think Texas is at blank check status for Tom Herman because they got $760 million in facility upgrades in the works right now. Taylor, they can't afford to have football come off the rails. I think it was, a, a big reason that, you know, Chris Del Conte and Sam Ellinger, I felt sorry for both of them after the win over Texas Tech Friday and what was probably the closest thing to a complete game for mm-hmm. Texas this year, even though they were down 14 nothing, and people were on 
you know, reaching for the Tums in the first quarter of that game. But I felt sorry for Del Conte and Sam Ellinger after the game because they had to try to put lipstick on this season. And and Chris Del Conte was was trying to say, look, you fire a head coach who's gone, who's won seven games, ten games, and seven games, and suddenly you're you're the University of Houston. You know, firing Tony Levine after an eight-win season to bring in Tom Herman and firing Major Applewhite after two winning seasons to go bring in Dana Holgerson or Florida State, which is, you know, rifling through the pile. Um, In other words, you're crazy town. And and Texas, Tom, I mean, uh, Chris Del Conte doesn't want Texas to be seen as crazy town with all the change that they've just been through from the chancellor to the president, to the athletic directors, to the three different football coaches. And, and so here comes the reset. It's underway. They're going to open the checkbook for Tom Herman. And that's where the conversation will, will lead us today. A a couple of quick thoughts, Taylor. I want to get your thoughts on the win over Texas tech because you know, we need to pay homage to that. There were some some cool things about that game, including the fact that so many young guys made plays in that game. Mm-hmm. From Jake Smith probably having his best game. You know, Marcus Washington had a 16 yard catch. Jared Wiley caught his first pass as a Longhorn. You had redshirt freshman Keandre Coburn, um, retro freshman Moro Jomo. Making plays, uh, Kenyatta Watson. Yeah, Rashawn Johnson, another hundred-yard game. I mean, and Rashawn Johnson is one of the best stories going on this team, no question about it. I thought he played like a champ, and he just has a lot of heart, and and that uh, he, he's had that all year. I mean, he made some of the biggest plays in in the Oklahoma game. Uh, really strange year at running back. You know, Keontae Ingram was up and down, up and down. And then as soon as he seems to find his stride, he hurts his ankle. Um, and and coaches didn't help him, really, in terms of getting him into a rhythm because they just abandoned the run uh, in certain games like OU and TCU, both losses. But... Well, Tom um, said that his whole career at Texas. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat that one. <laughs> it's it's but, like, oh, they're stopping... If you run plays, turn, throw it away, throw it away. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's good coaching right there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta stick with it. I mean, that's one thing I'll say about Mike Gundy. No matter what his offense has been in terms of spread or not spread, that guy is going to run the football. And he's going to run it probably 40 times. And, and so, so here we go. I thought it was cool that a bunch of young players made plays, but we've had some, you know, along with the developments of the – of the the purge, the Hurricane Herman blowing through the staff on Sunday. Um, strong side defensive end Van Fillinger decommitted. Uh, we're seeing some of the some of the kids who walked as well kids who had who walked with a year of eligibility, including a couple walk-ons. Um, yep. You know Chris Chris Nagar, Chris Nagar the punter. Yep, and uh, Samuel Saxon too, back or a walk-on quarterback and. Then Gabriel Floyd has chosen to medically retire from football after his spine, spinal stenosis diagnosis. But, you know, Chip, one thing before before we move on to that, I want to say something. You kind of hit on it a little bit here. You're saying about how, you know, Del Conte doesn't want Texas 
to be crazy town. And I get, I get that. I get that he doesn't want that. But you then listed off how many different changes that have happened within the last, what, six years? I mean, crazy town. Mac Brown was fired after an eight-win season. Yep. Uh, you know, it Charlie Strong. It came Thrones fashion. Yes. I mean, Not Charlie me. Strong, obviously, you know, that was that. But, I mean, Texas has been crazy town. And I think that there might come a point where Texas fans may need to start realizing that maybe the Mac Brown era was the anomaly. I mean, if you look back in the history, you know, Tom saying in his statement about changing assistant coaches, saying that, you know, five, seven and five is never going to be our standard. Well, I look back and since 1986, Texas has finished seasons with at least five losses 18 times. So in 34 seasons, 18 times have so more than half of those have finished with five losses. So maybe the Mac Brown era was the anomaly and the Texas standard is what you're seeing and what you continue to see here. I don't know. I mean, I know Texas fans will never be okay with that, but sometimes you have to come to terms with reality and with the facts and what, what history has shown. And this is all what it's shown is this is actually kind of common for Texas to finish football seasons with five losses. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that Texas completely lost its mind in 2013. Yes. Uh, from from a from a presidential standpoint, um, God rest Bill Powers, who's no longer with us. But I mean, that guy was fighting to stay on as president against Rick Perry and in, in his attempts to basically have Powers, you know, taken down for because of political differences. Uh, it led to the Game of Thrones style dismissals of the lost odds and Mac Brown, the hiring of. Steve Patterson and just setting the program back years and the hiring of Charlie Strong when Steve Patterson interviewed James Franklin. I mean, it, it just was a mess. And now, you know, Texas fans are, they're flinching because they thought they were past all that. And then this season happened and they found another banana in the tailpipe and they're sick of it. And I don't blame them. Right. You and I are sick of covering these false starts. And yeah. and and so, you know, here's Chris Del Conte. He did not hire Shaka Smart. He did not hire Tom Herman. Right. But he's come in and he's tried to revitalize a, a an athletic complex that was so far behind in terms of facilities. What, 23 other schools had upgraded their major facilities? Um before Texas started this campaign and just in the power five, I mean, right. they're, they've been so far behind and, and now here he is sort of you know, hoping, hoping because I wrote this this morning at horns 24 seven and hopefully uh, everyone uh, is taking advantage of cyber Monday um, because that annual membership is the way to go. I mean, an annual membership to Horns 24-7 gets you access to every all the VIP content on every team site in the 24-7 Sports Network and CBS All Access. So that is the absolute premier way to go. And right now, 75% off? Are you kidding me? An annual membership? It's 25 bucks, people. That's yeah. like, come on. You spend 25 yeah. bucks going to Taco Deli. Yeah, seriously. Get two meals at Popeye's uh, for that. So, yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> so, you know, Del Conte's got to try to keep things 
and and I wrote this this morning that Nick Saban hired Major Applewhite and Kevin Steele as his offensive and defensive coordinator when he got to Alabama in 07. In 08, the offensive coordinator was Jim McElwain and the defensive coordinator was Kirby Smart. So, you know, Nick Saban reset after one year. Dabo Swinney had Billy Napier as his offensive coordinator when he, when he took the job at Clemson in 2010. And Kevin Steele as his defensive coordinator. And after year one, Napier was out. Chad Morris was in. And after year two, Kevin Steele was out and Brent Venables was in. And those two have certainly gone on to become the absolute pillars of college football the last five, six years. Can Tom Herman reset and get on a path uh, similar? I mean, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame replaced both coordinators after a 4-8 and eight season in 2016 and then was in the college football playoff in 2018. If Tom Herman is a top-end coach, he'll reset and he'll do it and, and be in alignment, which he always talks about. If not, we'll know it because next year was supposed to be the year, is supposed to be the year. Sam Ellinger, senior quarterback, you've got All running back. Defensive backs, going to be upperclassmen. Right. right, your defense picked up a ton of experience after having nine new starters, and you should have offensive linemen developed, ready to plug the holes that are going to be left by Zach Shackelford and, and Parker Braun. Um, and we'll see if Sam Cosme decides to come back. He should. But next year's the year. And and we've seen coaches make coordinator changes. Gary Patterson did it um, coming out of a 4-8 and eight season in 2013 and went 12-1 and one in 2014 and almost beat out um, – Tom Herman's Ohio State team to get into the college football playoff. Yeah, didn't, but he it didn't. can happen. Because Good things can happen. That's why. <laughs> if it was the University of Texas with that run or Oklahoma with that run, they would have beat that out, in my opinion. If it would have right. been any other school, and that's not a knock on TCU or Baylor, any other school with them would have probably been in, and it's just because of the dollars that the college football playoff committee sees when they're putting pl- they're putting teams in there. They want they want the big dogs. They want the blue bloods. They, because they know those fan bases travel, and therefore they make money. I mean, that's how, you know, people people rip on the NCAA, the college football playoffs, the exact same way. Don't tell me that they're not. You know what I mean? Like they're looking right. at dollars and seeing and, who can get the most money for these teams getting in there. <laughs> and you had two coaches. You had two people on that committee that were never going to let Baylor get in with their pansy non-conference schedule mm-hmm. and Art Bryles stance to not schedule difficult opponents. And that year, Baylor happened to beat TCU. That was TCU's only loss. And they couldn't put TCU in over Baylor. So they just screwed them both and pushed them down. Uh, And as it turns out, Ohio State won it. They were the team that no one thought should get in. And and that catapulted Tom Herman's career, uh, certainly. And... And now here we are. Urban Meyer, every single I know they don't like each other, but he needs to be kissing him every single time because Urban Meyer got him that job. <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, I mean, he walked into a great situation at Houston. It was not a terrible situation. It was like, like how you had mentioned. I mean, it wasn't a losing program. 
He took over a program that was veteran. You know, I mean, team that had been winning. I yep. mean, and then, you know, he, Tom comes into Texas, takes over a veteran team. The offense wasn't year one, but the defense was. Defense was one of the best in the conference that year. And uh, Todd Orlando was, how many times, did, how many times has Tom Herman referenced Todd Orlando as the, quote, best defensive coordinator in the country? Because I've, he said that plenty since he's been at Texas. Right. And that just got fired. And he got he got that nice raise from one point one million to one point seven million, was in the mix for some um G five jobs like Temple mm-hmm. um as a as a head coach. But um you know, it's gonna be interesting, Taylor. We'll uh we'll certainly have more to talk about um with our man Bobby Burton and see I did it again. I've done a terrible job of teasing ahead. Because we will talk to Godfather Bobby Burton and to Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com, about the possibility of Tom Herman zeroing in on Graham Harrell as his new offensive coordinator. Yeah, Graham Harrell, the one that just destroyed Texas fans' hopes in 2008, could be a part of the Texas staff. I I was in school at that point, okay, Chip? So... This is, you know, 2008, and I think that year wasn't the national championship. Wasn't it in Miami? Wasn't that the one? Wasn't it the one? You may be right on that. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure it was because all of our friends were like, oh, my gosh, we're going to go to the national championship in Miami. Like, you know, all of that when that happened, and then the Texas Tech game happened and destroyed all of our hopes. So Texas <laughs> will have a – the pleasure of having that back on <laughs> and the guy who did it. Well, um, maybe he can bring back Michael Crabtree in too. I don't know. What do you think? I was going to say, <laughs> Graham Harrell owes Texas one, right? Yeah, so exactly. Maybe now he can help him get uh, into the postseason and maybe into the college football playoff. That would be, that would be something. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's a good opportunity for him, especially if there's any uncertainty with Clay Helton's future at USC you know, he's probably going to be looking regardless at this point. But, I mean, if, if this doesn't work next year, again, how much time is not only Del Conte, but the people that write the checks for these facility upgrades that Texas has, how many times are they going to be able to, you know, put up with another losing season when you have this type of payroll on staff? I mean, Tom Herman's entering, will be entering year four. They gave Charlie Strong three seasons. He got the boot. So to be fair, and I think that I think this is where Chris Del Conte is. I mean, Charlie had three straight losing seasons. Herman's right. had three straight winning seasons, and that's not the standard. But I think Chris Del Conte was trying to say, um, you fire a guy after three straight winning seasons, and there's got to be more to the story. So, and we know that Tom Herman's got a prickly personality. Does he? Can he be humble? Can he be uh, a servant, as Chris Del Conte says? He advises his coaches to be to be honest, to be humble, and be a servant to others. Um, that seems like a lot to ask of Tom Herman. Yeah. And there's, look, there's things I like about Tom. I like that he's tough. I like that his teams are tough. I like that his teams fight to the end. And even when they're totally, it seems like, ill-prepared, they're still in a one possession game. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how they were against Oklahoma. Gave up nine sacks, 15 tackles for loss. It was a one-possession game. When Mac Brown was ill-prepared for that game, he lost by 50. Right. So, yeah. you know, Herman's a tough guy. His teams are tough. They play physical. I like that about Herman, but he's got to surround himself with some veteran guys who can talk to players, recruit, the whole package. He's got to upgrade. He's got to go to, you know, big boy coaching hiring school and and bring in some guys who can handle the big stage who've been on the big stage um, to go along with maybe a young fresh face like a Graham Harrell yeah no I agree with that and and yeah Tom has done good things since he got to Texas but being humble is not something we've ever seen Tom Herman be so I think you know it's kind of like oh you want to give people the benefit of the doubt of if they can be humble if they you know change their personality and stuff We've seen this for three years. Tom Herman's not changing. And if he does, I will eat crow like no one's business, but he's not changing. So it's going to be so important for him to bring in coaches who will be able to mask the pompous attitude, the ego, the, you know, I never would admit to getting out coach type of immediate responses to questions. That's, you got to have some assistants that are going to help that. And I don't know who that's going to be. Um, but he could definitely use uh, some PR coaching for sure. But with that, let's bring in the godfather of the recruiting industry, the team side industry, the publisher of Horns 24-7, Bobby Burton. Bobby Burton. Love this conversation every week here on the flagship podcast. Hope uh, hope you've taken advantage of the Cyber Monday special. Are you kidding me? 75% off annual membership to Horns 24-7. And here's the great thing about the annual you get VIP access to all the sites in the 24-7 Sports Network. So in a week like this where, you know, Graham Harrell, there's interest in him, you can go over to uscfootball.com or in Joe Brady and go over to the LSU site and read up. Read all about it, as we say. Uh, But Bobby, happy holidays, my man. We have uh, Hurricane Herman has blown through. And as we suspected, we... We said last week in the flagship podcast that we'd have a lot to talk about, and we do, my friend. Yep. My favorite U2 song of all time, Sunday Bloody Sunday. <laughs> the, the, uh, that's what it was last, yesterday around 6. We were waiting for it, for it to break, weren't we? Uh, you and I talked a couple times that day and had been hearing things, and it finally broke. And uh, when it did, it, it, really, it really came. I think that What's interesting uh, out of all of it is I don't I don't know that they're done. I don't I don't know that uh, Tom Herman is necessarily done rearranging his staff. And I'm not just talking about adding new faces. I'm I'm talking about subtracting existing ones. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You got to have some coaches to coach them in the bowl game. So as we wait for the uh, the the bowl destination. Coaches are out on the road recruiting. And this is what I wanted to ask you about, Bobby, because it's obvious that that I think Herman has interest in Graham Harrell um, and possibly Joe Brady, the wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator at LSU, just to say, hey, we can make you a coordinator here. Not that LSU wouldn't make him a co-coordinator with Steve Ensminger, but... Um, as far as recruiting goes, and obviously Todd Orlando is out and, you know, Tom Herman 
has been in touch with Chris Ash, who he was with at Ohio State. Ash was the co-defensive coordinator with Luke Fickle on that 2014 national championship team. And then he went off to be the head coach at Rutgers and was a was a disaster there. He was 8-33, and 33, got fired five games into this season this year, and then spent some time at Texas observing. Um, and he's certainly a candidate uh, to replace Todd Orlando. But from a recruiting standpoint, Bobby, signing day begins December 18th. You've got two weekends to, you know, either – try to convince uncommitted un, uh, recruits or reconvince committed recruits. How important is it for, for Tom Herman to have one or both coordinators identified and announced quickly before signing day? Um, I think it's hard to tell. Hard to tell, actually, Chip. I think it's an excellent question. I think, I think you have to go down player by player. There's no hard and fast rule as it relates to that, in my opinion. So you literally would have to ask every single player to get those answers. I think for some it's going to matter and some it's not going to matter. I think that there are those that have wanted to go to Texas all along and no matter who they get at offensive coordinator or defense coordinator, they're going to end up at Texas. Um, and it's not like they, they aren't moving forward uh, with – new ideas on recruiting. I mean, it's not like they're just sitting still. They offered a defensive tackle today, a defensive end out of uh, Longview that's committed Oklahoma State. You look at that and you say, okay, they're still moving forward as it relates to player personnel. Obviously, I think Van Fillinger, the defensive tackle out of Utah, decommitting on Sunday in in, uh, in response to Todd Orlando's uh, uh, departure uh, it, it's somewhat reactionary but at the same time it shows that you know Tom Herman is pulling the strings on these offers and their their recruiting department are pulling them not necessarily any one coach um, and so style does style of defense really matter if you're a corner or a safety the style of defense really matter if you're an inside linebacker or a defensive tackle, eh, maybe some, somewhat. Uh, I could definitely see more so on offense, I would say. Uh, but really, it's it's just you're going to have to wait and see what these kids say individually. I, Texas did get good news today. Uh, one of our West Coast reporters, Blair Angelow, um, reported that B. John Robinson, the running back from Tucson that's committed to Texas, remains firm, firm with his pledge. So that's that's outstanding. Yeah, that's big. I mean, when you look at that uh, that that 2020 class, I mean, my guy in that class is Jaquindon Jackson. I think he's a big stage quarterback, a guy who's got a lot of electricity, um, and and obviously B. John Robinson. I mean. Who are the guys in that class you think are the must-haves? Well, I think those – you just mentioned two of them. I think Hudson Card has to stay, too, because as, as good a uh, player as Jaquindon Jackson is, and I do think he's one of those guys that lifts everyone else up, I have some question whether or not he'll translate that to quarterback on the next level because it, it, it's just a different type of situation. But that being said – 
I I still think that he and uh, he and Bijan Robinson are the the two guys that are really the biggest names. You look down and and I think Xavier Alford down the safety DB out of uh, Pearland is a big one. Uh, those are those are kind of the guys. Keaton Crawford out. John Tyler is another one that I think they're they're going to be keeping. Vernon Broughton from Houston, the defensive tackle. I don't see him moving. The thing about Texas, as opposed to other schools, is when they recruit so much in state, those kids are more tied to the university than they are to a single coach. It's harder to keep someone interested if they're an out of state prospect tied to certain coaches but texas is the state university and and because of that i think it's that it's not as big a deal as it as otherwise might be um all right bobby let's let's get down to the nitty-gritty you you mentioned sunday bloody sunday tom herman let's great go great song great great song by the way great I mean, song just, just unbelievable yep great song they I had to say it sorry no, no. They opened uh, the Joshua Tree tour that I went to go see in 17 with Sunday Bloody Sunday. Um, so, Todd Orlando is let go. And Tim Beck is, I guess, whatever, shifted to quarterback's coach through the bowl game. Uh, let's start with the dismissals and the receivers' coaches. Drew Maringer fired. Um and Corby Meekins is going to be shuffled off to an administrative staff position, a non-coaching position. Uh, anything surprise you about Sunday? And- no, not. I, I think that that a soft landing spot for Corby Meekins was appropriate, uh, given that he's a former Texas high school coach, uh, and that he has he's done what Tom Herman asked him to do. He's recruited Houston pretty well. Um, he originally came to Texas, if you remember, as a tight end coach and got pushed to inside receivers. Frankly, um, in retrospect, I think that he could have been a better he could have been better off staying at tight end and Wareheim could have been let go at this point in time. But I'm not so sure Wareheim's safe anyways. Uh, so that's that's one of those where I did, you could have kind of seen that one coming. With Mariner, it, it's it's more about insubordination in his room. That coaches talk about this all the time. Can you control your room? How do you handle your room? And what they mean is the players inside their little ecosystem, their defensive backs or, or cornerbacks or safeties or their linebackers. Well, how did Drew Mariner handle his outright outside receivers? Let's talk about that. One, Brew McCoy transferred before even playing a down. Two, Brendan Eagles set out a, a, a day of practice because he was so pissed off uh, and couldn't see straight. And three, Malcolm X dropped more passes than anybody on the team, yet still saw as many snaps as everybody else. D, Colin Johnson, I don't know if he could play right now, but apparently is elected not to play. And then E, Apparently, there was some unrest with guys like Marcus Washington, who's really, really talented youngster. And so you can say all the reasons why, but that's five issues that I can think of that have happened in the last four months. That's enough to fire a guy. Um, He couldn't handle his room, in my opinion. No doubt about it. 
no doubt about it. Um, and I think that, um, look, you gotta, you gotta, well, you gotta make that change. Let's just put it that way. Um, there just seemed to be a lot of friction between Drew Maringer and Tom Herman, even I think back to the first year. And, and I was told that when major Applewhite made some coaching changes and let go of his, his offensive coordinator after year one that Tom Herman was more than willing to let major take Drew Maringer and, and Derek Wareheim uh, when major ended up hiring Kendall Bryles and Randy Stevens. So um, it just seemed like there was friction and, you know, I don't know why Herman brought Maringer back into the fold. He could have kept a guy like Jeff trailer. Uh, who can certainly coach won three state titles at Gilmer and and can recruit East Texas, but that is uh, those are bygones. So now uh, Tom Herman looks to the future. If if it's Graham Harrell as offensive coordinator, what does that do for you? Um, I think that it it's definitely a, an interesting offense. Um, I like Graham Harrell. I I actually. Talk, used to talk to him all the time when he was a recruit. Um, talked to his dad. His dad, Sam, was the head coach uh, there at um, Ennis for a long time and he won some state titles. I, I look at them and, or I look at Sam, or at Graham Harrell, and I see a guy that grew up with the spread but has somewhat evolved given his time in the NFL with the Packers and Mike uh, Holmgren. And so I, I look at it, or Mike McCarthy, and I look at it, and I just I see that as a fit. I mean, so much nowadays, you have to have a great situation at offensive coordinator or a great offense to even compete on a national level. I mean, look, you, you look at that Alabama-Auburn game, and in my opinion, Nick Saban has been the gold standard for defense in, the, in college football for two decades probably going back to his time at LSU and Auburn scores 48 points on him. You know, people are scoring points nowadays. And if you have a great offense, you got a chance. Um, nowadays defense is just, yes, there, there are good coaches and bad coaches, but I think the, the, the real key here is to get a great offensive coordinator and move the football and, try to out-athlete people on defense, really. Well, what's interesting is Graham Harrell went into USC where there seemed to be this offense by committee with Clay Helton and, and T. Martin and a bunch of cooks in the kitchen, and he simplified it and made USC's offense the best part of their team this past year, including the win over Utah with third-string quarterback Matt Fink uh, after, you know, Keaton Slovis had sort of come in for uh, JT Daniels after JT was injured in the opener. And and so Slovis starts the Utah game, gets hurt. Matt Fink ends up beating Utah. And, and the offense, you know, has this uh, nice – Nice year, including the the route of UCLA where Slovis throws for 500 yards. There are four 100-yard receivers in that game. And and so Harrell is is a popular guy. 
in Los Angeles right now. And he'd be coming in to sort of clean up a similar situation, Bobby, where Tom Herman was trying to sort of offensive coordinate by committee. He was having the game plans prepared by a number of people, uh, including two of his analysts, Larry Fedora, Andre Coleman, as well as Tim Beck and Herb Hand. And, and then when they would get into games, Tom Herman was dependent on, you know, what the guys were seeing from the booth. And if he didn't feel totally comfortable with what they were telling him, man, it just turned into like a bad switchboard operator and adjustments weren't getting made. And I mean, the offense just dragged to a halt over the second half of the season. So Graham Harrell, it sure sounds like has done this before in what he did at USC. So this, this could be, uh, you know, Oh, I've, I've done this before. This is no problem. Um, any other thoughts on Graham Harrell before we move, or or Joe Brady before we move over to the defense? Uh, I think with with Sam or with uh, Graham Harrell, you're probably looking at a one year deal um, if he's successful. So that would be one thing to keep in mind. He's not going to be a coordinator for long if he continues to be successful. When you say one year deal, I, oh well, not. I think they'll have to sign him to a two or three year deal to get him to come. I mean, a one year deal as he's going to be a hot commodity as a coach going to, to be a head coach. Yeah. If he's successful at Texas, uh, like he was at USC, that's just going to be a natural thing for him. It may not be a Missouri or uh, Oklahoma state or something like that. I'm not saying either of those are, I'm not saying Oklahoma state will be open, but, my point is it won't necessarily be a blue chip, blue blood program, but it very well could be a program that uh, is considered second tier that's looking for a big time offensive mind this time next year. All right. So, um, you know, as we shift over and look toward the replacement of Todd Orlando, Chris Ash a guy who Tom Herman worked with at Ohio State. This does not excite me per se. Now, if Chris Ash were to bring along some of the members of that 2014 Ohio State defensive staff, like Larry Johnson, uh, their defensive line coach and Pied Piper recruiter, who's up in years but is one of the best in the business, I might I might start to get excited, Bobby. How about you? Well, I I think that I don't even think that I don't necessarily buy into this. Hey, I'm going to bring this guy, this guy, and this guy with me for coordinators, um, especially not when it's going to be a competitive situation. And Ohio State's probably playing until mid January. Um, th- those guys are going to try to stay and, and get a national championship ring. So. I don't know that Texas can either a wait that long or B wants to wait that long. Uh, so I would look at that and say, you got to decide on Chris Ash for him, not for a group of people. Um, I do think that he is more than capable. I've done some research and talked to some people and I think he's a good, I think he would be a good hire. I don't know that he's a great hire. Um, 
but I don't know that there are a lot of great defensive coordinators out there. I mean, Barry Odom is the former head coach at Mizzou. I'm sitting in a, a situation where I've done some talking to people that have been around him and, and worked actually on his staff at Rutgers. And I feel good about him being a defensive coordinator at a place like Texas. I think he's got some uh, chops to him and I think he could be a good defensive coordinator. My issue these days anymore, Chip, has more to do with what is the value of a great defensive coordinator. I mean, if it's not your head coach and it's somebody like Gary Patterson or Kyle Whittingham or Nick Saban, I mean, you still look at those guys and look, I mean, Auburn Auburn just scored 48 points, two non non-traditional touchdowns, sure, but that's with a freshman quarterback. They scored 34 against Alabama. Uh, LSU moved it all over the field against Alabama at will. Um, defensive coordinators, I, I think that they are beholden to almost exclusively to the amount of talent they have. So yes, they they can try to react, and there are there are guys that are better than others. Uh, but I, I think Chris Ash would be a, a good hire at, at defense coordinator based on the people I've talked to. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I know he doesn't make you jump up and, you know, holler. So what are your thoughts there? Well, I, I think, um, you know, there were some for the thing that for all the things I liked about Todd Orlando, I, I thought he connected with players, um, you know, and he, he had to eat some humble pie this year because he hadn't had young linebackers in a long time, like almost 10 years. If you go back to his time at Utah state, he had veteran linebackers at Houston. He had veteran linebackers when he arrived at Texas and then he had to start over. And I think it affected how he schemed the defense in terms of, you know, putting the, putting his ends in the four eye and not having a pass rush. And then they finally, fan those ends out to the five technique against Texas Tech, and they get a pass rush. I mean, Malcolm Roach, the first time he went to the five, he got a sack. Marquez Bimage looked like a pro bowler. Taquan Graham's making plays behind the line. And I couldn't help but think that, uh-oh, what the hell was Todd Orlando thinking not trying this earlier? And sure enough, uh, and he slanted his defensive lineman a lot, and that's, that's not attractive to the to the top defensive linemen. They want to be able to use their hands. They they need to learn how to use their hands to get off blocks and control gaps and, um, you know, really learn how to to be a defensive lineman. I mean, just asking a guy to to get into the gap to your left or to your right to clear the way for a blitz. That's that's not what the top end recruits want. You know, that's not the system they want to play in. So. Um, Todd Orlando had a bad year and he had a, he picked the wrong year to have a bad year. So, um, and in all that said, the defense still turned people over, made plays and had seven straight turnovers that they forced that the offense didn't score a single point off of. Um, so how many games did Texas lose because of the defense in your opinion? Um, LSU, LSU for sure. Gave up third and 17, yep. 227 yep. left. Um, 
you know, TCU, you can certainly make that argument. They gave up a third and 17 touchdown again and gave up a third and 11 and a third and 14 en route to the final touchdown that put TCU up 10. So, um, 37 points, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's too much. Yep. They were up 20 to 13 in the third quarter. Yep. Um, and then Iowa State, they played well enough to win. And, um, and Baylor, they played well enough for two and a half. It should have been more, should have been more competitive. Yeah. But they played well enough. My, yeah. So they lost one game because of the defense, right? Like truly lost it. There were other games, though, that, that were closer than they should have been because the defense was poor. Um, I mean, it started out of the gate against Louisiana Tech. I mean, even though that was a route, I mean, Louisiana Tech moved the ball up and down the field. Um, Oklahoma State um, had its way with Texas at times with the running quarterback. Um, don't I don't think that's a competitive game at that point unless the two fumbled punts, though. Um, I'm just trying to th- think through it. I, I, I feel like, like as bad as Orlando's defense was at time this year, they rarely cost Texas games. Yeah. Um, what mostly cost Texas games was a poor, was poor offense. Uh, the lack of offense at, at Iowa state Baylor, those were just horrible performances. TCU was pathetic. So, I mean, I, if he wants to fire on both, that's fine. But when it first came out that, that Orlando was the first to go, I was thinking, oh, my goodness. Okay, hope there's more because <laughs> if, it, if it's just Orlando, I think he, he, he may have missed the point. But uh, obviously there was more to come, and, and uh, that's the way it is. All right, so we'll, we'll end it on this, Bobby. The, the bowl game, would you rather Texas face Mac Brown or Shane Bouchelle, if if uh, if you had that choice, not saying that that's what it will be, but um, do you have a choice? Uh, I'd I'd like them. I, I think those are good matchups for Texas, both of them. Yeah. Um, probably, I think from a, I mean, you know, Mac Brown's throwing it around like crazy right now, or trying to, um, but he's also a young quarterback. Uh, for our true freshman starting for them uh, with Bouchelle and Sonny Dykes. I, you know, I like Sonny personally and I think he's a good coach. So, I mean, I, I think they're a little bit different in that that would have to be a shootout and Texas would have to win. And Texas does have the, uh, an, an upper hand from a uh, line perspective in that regard. So I'd, I'd be interested in seeing either of those games. Yeah. I don't really have a, I don't have one. To be to be honest, what about you? Yeah, I mean they're and they're actually still in the mix for the Alamo Bowl against a Pac-12 team. Um, I mean, you know, personally, I'd love to see them play SMU so I could see my uh, my alma mater. You know, <laughs> just from a pure personal standpoint. <laughs> uh, being able to see that game, I haven't been able to see SMU live this year, but. Um, you know, it, it, uh, I mean, Mac Brown, how about Mac? He got him, he got him to, uh, what? Six and six almost beat Clemson 
it was an up and down year, but after Larry Fedora went two and ten, Mac looks like a hero. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'm with you. I'll take either one, but I probably prefer seeing uh, SMU just from a selfish standpoint. Yeah. Bobby, I, go ahead with a with a final thought here. <laughs> Someday we'll sing this song. <laughs> That's my final thought. There it is. So. <laughs> Sunday, bloody Sunday, baby. Um, All right. You, you take it easy, Chip. Bobby, let's do it again next week. We'll have much more to uh, talk about. Yeah, probably wouldn't know which bowl by this time next week. So, right. Or we will know which bowl. Yep. All right. You take there it is. easy. The Godfather, Bobby Burton. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Joined now on the flagship podcast by the one and only Mr. USC Football, Mr. Paris Style, um, Ryan Abraham. I mean, uscfootball.com. If you want to know what's going on, that's where you go. And Ryan, it seems like we've had some interesting overlaps here in the last couple of years between Brew McCoy and, um, well, the fact that Texas played USC. Uh, twice in the last three years. And now it appears that Tom Herman wants USC's offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell. So, first of all, how are you doing, my man? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, Chip. No, doing great. I, I love the crossover since our staffs have known each other for years. You know, game at the Coliseum a couple years ago. I got to stand next to Matthew McConaughey, going to visit you guys in Austin. Like, it's fun. And now maybe they're a little more assistant coaching crossover or something just to keep that relationship going. Well, so it, it obviously was a little crazy. Cliff Kingsbury uh, was the offensive coordinator for like five minutes. And then he got the Arizona Cardinals job after being fired at Texas Tech. And, and so Brew McCoy, you know, then transferred over to, to Texas. Now he's back at USC. And Graham Harrell obviously took over the USC offense. And you tell me, I mean, what, what, what's the review after the 8-4 and four season? Um, all the quarterback turnover, freshman Kidon Slovis, um, 
crushing UCLA to finish the regular season. And, uh, and you know, Graham Harrell, what, what's the thought there? Yeah, so I think he's done a really good job. I mean, he hasn't been an assistant coach all that long. I think he had one year as like a wide receiver coach under Mike Leach and then a few years at North Texas uh, running the show down there as the offensive coordinator. But he came into USC and they needed somebody that was going to have a singular plan. They had more of a gumbo type of offense where Cleo Clay Helton got a little bit from Steve Sarkeesian, a little bit from Lane Kiffin, and they had his brother Tyson Helton there, and they had T. Martin there. And it was sort of this mess of a little bit of everything. Then what happens, you know, when they go five and seven, they need to bring in a real offensive coordinator, like you mentioned, Kingsbury. Well, to be fair, Kingsbury does know Sean McVay, so you have to give him an NFL job. But they <laughs> moved on, and then they bring in like kind of Cliff Kingsbury light in uh, Graham Harrell. And the good thing is, Chip, he really had uh, an idea, you know, and, and a, he had an identity of what he wanted to do on offense. It was very simple. USC has a ton of great athletes. They probably have top two or three wide receiver core in the country. They had JT Daniels coming back. And I think it made a lot of sense for what they wanted to do. They installed the entire offense in the first spring in the first three practices. And then they just redid it four more times through the 15 practices of spring. And it was like completely different than what they've had before. And to see them go from, I think they were number 96 in the country in total offense, uh, you know, last year. And then this year they were, I believe it was top 20 in scoring offense. Um, they, they just did a much better job offensively. And that's after losing your starting quarterback in the, you know, after one half of football in the season, you put in Keaton Slovis, who was a, three-star freshman, which USC doesn't even usually get three stars when it comes to quarterbacks. He was coached by, uh, um, you know, you know, in high school by Kurt Warner, uh, you know, NFL hall of famer. And you, and he, I, apparently that transferred over, but he came in and did a really nice job. And then he goes down for a while and they bring in their third string, Matt Fink, and he beats Utah. Who's a, you know, could potentially make the college football playoff. And I think it was just because this is an offense that was very quarterback friendly it allowed these guys, no matter who it was, the returning starter or the guy that was sitting on the bench, to to excel. And you know, you can get the ball out to the wide receivers, and it worked well. So I think overall, like there's been some, you know, not positive. I don't think special teams have been very good for USC. I don't think the defense has been very good. But the offense, uh, long story, I guess here, is a lot better than what we've seen in years past. And I think a lot of that's attributed to the talent, but also to the system that uh, Graham Harrell brought in. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it it was a tenuous situation that Graham Harrell walked into. I mean, it was down to the down to the you know wire, I guess, in terms of whether Clay Helton was going to survive after the five and seven season. And now here we are again. We're still waiting, right, for the white smoke to come out of the chimney. Uh, when we have a decision on on Clay Helton with a new president and new athletic director, yeah, I'm uh, I'm you know watching the Vatican Twitter feed right now just to see what happens there, what the smoke is coming. But it's crazy, and you're watching things happen, and you hear there's a lot of coaching news breaking. Uh, Chris Peterson, you know, uh, <laughs> retiring from coaching for Washington. USC fans are just beside themselves, waiting. And I, you know, as I'm we're re- recording this, I have to be watching Twitter just in case something breaks. Uh, it's crazy right now. And USC, the last couple of years have kind of been in this purgatory, like this limbo state. And the one positive though, has been Graham Harrell coming in. 
So when there's talk about, hey, Graham Harrell could potentially leave, that's another, you know, oh, man, USC fans are like, oh, man, what's going on? That was the one kind of good thing that's happened to this team as far as uh, coaching staff goes. But, uh, yeah, we're curious to see. Um, there you know, been some conflicting reports out there. We, we have not heard that uh, Clay Helton has been fired. They have a new athletic director, Mike Bone. Um, but, you know, I, would I be shocked if he was fired in the next five minutes or over the next five days? Probably not. It's just, it's USC, weird things happen all the time. And because they've had such poor leadership from hiring inexperienced athletic directors over the last 10 years, you kind of expect this. It's going to take time for an actual athletic director, which they hired in Mike Bone from Cincinnati, to come in and do his job. The problem is he came in and really had only a few weeks to get his ducks in a row before this huge decision was going to have to be made because, you know, the early signing period, everything has accelerated. So you can't just sit around and wait till the middle of January and make a decision that you have to do something now, as you guys know. Talking to Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. And obviously, um, Graham Harrell is uh, a hot topic at, at Texas because it appears Tom Herman has interest in Graham Harrell. Um, and uh, so, Ryan, as we, as we look at this, um, you know, do you think after watching Graham Harrell handle USC – um, that he would be able to handle the, obviously the stage at Texas. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, he, you know, he's not someone, he's been fine as far as addressing the media. And I think it was a big move for him to go, you know, from Texas to, uh, Los Angeles, um, you know, move his family and all that kind of stuff. He's got a young family. I don't think he's the most comfortable talking to the media all the time. There's a, certainly a lot more media attention, around him now than he was when he was the offensive coordinator at North Texas. Um, and, you know, he's a young coach. I think he's kind of learning on the job. And I think there would be even more scrutiny uh, going into the situation uh, at, at Texas as well. But I think he's handled it pretty well. And I think he's a genuine guy as far as the simplicity of what he's trying to do. Like people ask him kind of, you know, what you think would be a tough question. And he's like, I really don't think of it that way. It's like, I want the quarterback to find the open receiver and throw him the ball. Like he's like receiver. I want you to run to grass, run to open spots, quarterback, find him and throw him the ball. And then, you know, this, he really tries to keep things simple with the players and with the media. And so there's usually not like, you know, this onion of many layers of what, you know, like what he's trying to do. And he's had to handle a lot. It wasn't just that JT Daniels went down in the very first game of the season. And it wasn't just that you lost Keaton Slovis for a few games too and had to go with uh, your, your third-string quarterback. He lost his first three running backs, and USC only had four scholarship running backs at the time, and the other guy they wanted to redshirt. Um, so they've, they've, I think they've had to battle through different adversity like on the field, and he's handled that well. He's been able to adjust where one game, Keaton Slovis throws for 57 passes, and that's a USC record. In other games, you're, you're running the ball more than you're throwing it, just depending on like the personnel who's available. But I think the way... I, don't, I wouldn't say he's super comfortable talking with the media and, and the kind of scrutiny. It's a little, you know, it was a little shocking, I think, at first. But I think he's grown over the past few months. You've seen him handle it pretty well. Uh, it would be, I think, another you know, step where you know, in Austin, I think it's just even more of a, you know, they're, they're, you don't have the Lakers and the, you know, all that, and the Rams and all this other stuff going on. I mean, there's a lot of focus on Texas football. So we probably even more focus on him, especially if you want him to come in and be a savior and, and, and turn the offense around. But I, I think you can handle it. Just, it was one step for him to go from a small school to a, 
a bigger school. And then I think to going in, even to like a more of a fishbowl, I think would be that next step forward. Well, Ryan, what, um, what's your gut feel for, for how things are going to end up there at USC? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I might right now at, at first, and you know, some of the reputable reporters that we know and, and respect, um, we're, we're feeling that USC would rather not make a move. And, you know, from the people I've talked to kind of got the same vibe that, you know, ideally Mike Bone comes in and, you know, I kind of, if you're like a, a CFO and you come into a big accounting firm and everything's running smoothly, you can take your time and implement your plan and, and adjust everything over a long period of time. But if you take over an accounting firm and they're, oh, by the way, you have a big IRS audit coming uh, in a week, then you can't really do that. You have to like, holy crap, we got to get everything ready right now. And I, that's the kind of USC situation where you came into a more of a, this crazy storm of events, basically because of all the past poor leadership. And you don't really have that time to wait. So I think ideally, he would love to be able to take more time, have one more year of Clay Helton, and then, and then pick your coach the following year. But I think they kind of floated that out there. And uh, the pushback from alumni and fans, and you know, I, I ran a poll on, my, on, on the uscfootball.com message board, and over 95% don't want Clay Helton to return. So usually, you don't usually get that kind of everyone's on the same page. Usually it's like split down the middle or... 75-25, it is almost unanimous that people don't want him back. So I think the administration's realizing that now. And so now they're like, okay, well, I think we're going to have to make a move. But you're talking about, what, 16 days until the early signing period? You just don't have time to waste. So they're in a really weird spot. Uh, I'm curious because even if you bring them back, what if Graham Harrell goes off to Texas, you know, and that would be you know a big blow to the staff. And they didn't make the kind of staff changes they needed to over the last couple of years. Harold was a big move, but they kept the same defensive coordinator. They kept the same special teams coordinator. And, and those guys have really underperformed this year. So are you going to go back to the well, replace those guys and go try to find a new offensive coordinator? There's a lot of issues if you're going to bring uh, Clay Helton back, but it's just, you know, it's USC. There's always weird stuff going on. If they, don't, if they bring them back, I wouldn't be shocked. If they get rid of them in the next hour, I wouldn't be shocked. So I think almost anything could happen, Chip. Hey, Ryan, that's why we have you on the scene. Take <laughs> care of everything, my man. You are the absolute best. Um, always great to catch up with you, and I'm sure we will be in touch as this story develops. Sounds good, Chip. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Happy holidays to Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. Get over there. Of course, if you're an annual member at horns247.com. You have access to all the VIP content at uscfootball.com and all the sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. All right, great stuff with Ryan Abraham. I mean, what a great breakdown of Graham Harrell. And I, I, I think Texas fans probably feel even better about the fact that Graham Harrell uh, is, in my mind, the leading candidate uh, to replace him back and take over the Texas offense um, after hearing that. And Taylor, you know, I think keep your eye on Graham Harrell, obviously. And then, you know, my question for Tom Herman is on the defensive side, take your time. Don't rush it. Uh, don't go for the quick and easy. Uh, Chris Ash would be would be the quick and easy. You've got guys who are going to be coming loose here. I mean, 
as as Bobby pointed out, you got Barry Odom, at, you know, former head coach at Mizzou, who has been a defensive coordinator at at Mizzou and also at Memphis when Tom was at Houston. There are going to be guys who are going to come available here, and you, I, I I I get wanting to get your offensive coordinator maybe uh, announced as quickly as possible. I think defensively, you can take time here. I mean, get it get it right, get it right because um, you don't fire a guy like Todd Orlando in my mind unless you've got a guy who yeah. can you know, is superior to Todd Orlando. And I'm not sure that Chris, Chris Ash is. Yeah. I mean, according to Todd, Her- Tom Herman himself, Todd Orlando is the best defense coordinator in the country. So you got to go find one B, I guess, if uh, that was his constant remarks about Todd Orlando, in my opinion. Yeah. And keep an eye on, on Emmett Jones uh, as a possible receivers coach. He worked with Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. He knows the air raid. He's a former Dallas area high school coach at South Oak Cliff. Guy's a great recruiter. He was obviously with Kingsbury before spending this past season with Les Miles at Kansas. Um, I think I've heard Mike Roach say uh, he's probably Rashad Samples, but 15 years down the road. Right. in terms of just a guy who knows the ins and outs of the Dallas area and the recruiting landscape and uh, has, you know, recruited and, and coached in, uh, in the Big 12 and knows, knows his way around. So uh, keep an eye on Emmett Jones as well. Um, Taylor, you heard Bobby and I talking about the bowl games and how I would, you know, personally love it. If Texas ended up playing SMU, I mean, Shane Bouchelle against his old team. Would you yeah. rather see Texas take on SMU or Texas take on Mac Brown in North Carolina? Uh, or how do you think Texas fans would view that? And, and obviously that it's not going to come down to those two, but those two are a possibility. Right. Um, what do you think? I mean, I think. Yeah, it's it, both would be great. You know what I mean? Both are good, like great headlines, great storylines. I can follow with Shane versus Sam, you know, Shane versus Tom essentially is what it's going to end up being because, you know, Tom, what was Sam over Shane? Um, but, uh, and then Mac, obviously, you know, it's, it's the mentor going against the mentee. And one thing though, we got to look at what Mac has done this year. The teams that he beat early in the season, were two of his former staff members who he was able to beat. So Texas fans may not want Mac Brown going against Tom Herman because Mac Brown's two, two and two for two against those guys this season. Uh, with Will Muschamp and Manny Diaz. Yeah, and uh, Will Muschamp. Yes. So you know that may not be a matchup that Texas fans will want to see. In my opinion, um, I think they probably would rather SMU. And and from my you know personally standpoint. SMU would be cool, but I'd be worried you might get kicked out of the press box for cheering. So I don't know about that. One. <laughs> well, yeah, we talked about maybe having fireball in the press box for the <laughs> Texas Tech game. I think we would definitely have it um, if it was SMU. So, <laughs> so I'd, I'd probably get kicked out for one one reason or another. 
Yeah. Hey, there there aren't any rules going into the press box about having drinks beforehand, but they do constantly announce this is a working press box. Any members are, are cheering, will be asked to leave. So Chip Brown may be asked to leave that press box if it's SMU Texas and if he's been hitting up the fireball before. It's true. I mean, I thought the fan had been beaten out of me in this job probably 25 years ago, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. I mean, you got any you got any parting uh, thoughts, Taylor? You know, I think just with a lot of these coaching changes, one thing that I think Texas fans need to kind of keep an eye on. So from. From what my sources have told me, even the remaining coaches on staff have not been guaranteed any type of future past a bowl game. And um, I think that, you know, that it, you feel for some of these coaches because you feel for anybody when they lose their job, first of all. You know, I know Texas fans want to change, and I think there were some changes that were warranted. Um I don't know if Orlando was warranted, to be honest, but that's, you know, a time for another or that's a story for another day. But, you know, I think that one thing to keep an eye on if you're a Texas fan is watch this early signing period because Texas coaches are hitting the road, the recruiting trail for the next, what, two weeks leading up to the early signing period on December 18th. And there's no doubt that Tom Herman is going to have to answer to these families when he sits down for these in-home visits, you know, he's going to be on the road with the assist, the remaining assistant coaches. I, I would be absolutely shocked if these, you know, recruits and the families of recruits aren't drilling Tom in these in-home visits because the reality chip is, you know, everybody wants to say, you know, commit to a university all you want, but a lot of times players commit to coaches and that's just how it's going to be. They, they build these relationships with these coaches for years. They want to play for those coaches and it helps if it's at, you know, a university that they also want to be playing at. But if you're not seeing very, you know, Texas has been very successful these last, um, ever since early signing period started, they've been very successful of getting the majority of their guys in, in the early signing period. If that is not the case this year, I would not be surprised if some of these guys that are current commitments may be looking elsewhere. And I think that may be an indicator of how these in-home visits are going. Because if Tom can't give the answers that these parents want, if they're going to be playing for these position coaches who have spent the last three years, you know, recruiting their children, then I think you're going to see fewer numbers on early signing day. And, you know, that may be an indicator of the assistant coaches futures, you know, and and that's unfortunate for them. They're going to have to kind of put on a brave face and smile and say they will they'll do everything they can. But the reality is it's Tom Herman's decision at the end of the day if he keeps these guys. And he's going to have to face these families. And he's either going to be telling the truth or if he, you know, says something and then these coaches get canned after the bowl game, he's going to be perceived as a liar. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very tricky Right now, I think for Tom Herman, with how he's going to maneuver this, I think he's going to have to make some decisions on his own on some of these, you know, assistant coaches currently on the staff that he decided to retain. You know, I know that he's probably going to want to have give the guys, the coordinators that come in the opportunity to hire their own people. But I think that, you know, Texas fans should definitely pay close attention to these next few weeks, how these in-home visits go with Tom Herman and the assistant coaches that go in the houses of these recruits with their families 
And if you see low numbers on early signing period, I would I would assume it's probably because these uh, recruits were not given solid answers about the future of these assistant coaches that are remaining on staff. Yeah, it's tricky. There's no question about it. And that's why I asked Bobby about it, um, because you've got two recruiting weekends coming up and before signing day. And how is Texas going to use those weekends? And will there be answers about who's going to be coordinating on either side of the ball? Guess what? Next week, episode 10 of the flagship, we might have some more answers for you. You know yeah. what I mean? We promised you we promised you answers <laughs> by episode nine, and we came through. Now, yeah. um, we will we'll leave it there for episode nine, and we'll have a ton more to talk about in episode 10 of the flagship. So for Taylor Estes, the managing editor of Horns 24-7 and the glue, um, <laughs> I am Chip Brown. Thanks to Bobby Barton, the godfather. Thanks to Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. And I don't know what time this you're listening to this, but get to the Cyber Monday um, special. 75% off an annual membership, 25 bucks. Tell your friends and enemies. Um because that deal is too good to pass up, people. Become an annual member at horns247.com so that you get all VIP access to all the sites on the 24-7 network. Um, all right. Until next week, have a great week. You're listening to the Flagship Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.